Well, if you are new with us, we are in the series in 2 Thessalonians. We're actually finishing chapter 3. We started this series a long time ago, had to take a break, but we're finishing chapter 3. I'll finish it next week. Next week will be the conclusion of this series. And then the week after that, we're going to start a series on wrestling with God. And we're going to look at a passage that has always fascinated me to kick this off. And that is when a man by the name of Jacob actually wrestled with God, physically wrestled with God. That's where we're going to start. And it's going to be an awesome series. More on that to come. Well, ever since the Garden of Eden, people have struggled with accepting personal responsibility. As you probably already know, Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the serpent. And we were off to a great start. And ever since that time, mankind has tried to pass the blame to someone else. Fast forward to today and what do you find? Things haven't really changed all that much. If you need an example of that, just look to Washington, D.C. It's nobody's fault. It's amazing. I don't care what side of the aisle you sit on. It's amazingly nobody's fault. How does that work? When it comes to being personally responsible, whatever you do, don't blame me. It's my parents' fault. It's my grandparents' fault. It's my teacher's fault. It's this country's fault. Oh, here's one. It's history's fault. It's history's fault. It's somebody's fault. It's just not mine. I'm the victim here. Sound familiar? Just two weeks ago, a video surfaced of a New York City councilwoman going through an intersection in her car, hitting a man who was riding a bike. Did you see this on the news? Did she stop to take responsibility after hitting this man to check on his well-being? No, she fled the scene. When people started calling for her resignation after such a reckless display of human safety, did she do the responsible thing and step down? No, she refused. Bless her heart. This horrific display of irresponsible behavior would almost be laughable if it weren't so utterly serious. In California, the state that I grew up in, you can literally steal from stores with almost no threat of being arrested, let alone prosecuted. You can steal, I think, up to, they have a weird number. It's like $995 or something. How do you know that when you're walking out with $995 worth of stuff? How do they know? Are they like, oh, you're good. Go ahead, sir, please, right, right along. You're underneath that threshold. Have a great day. Thanks for shopping here. Crime has become so bad in the Bay Area, where I was specifically raised, that San Francisco residents recently recalled the district attorney for her unwillingness to hold criminals accountable for their actions. You know it's bad when liberals are ousting liberals for being too liberal. <laughs> Just last week, two New York City transit officers, many of you saw this, were brutally assaulted by a man who tried to board the subway station without paying. Surely this man would be held accountable for his assault, right? No, he was released the very next day. Folks, it's very simple. When you replace personal responsibility with a victim mentality, society as a whole is in huge trouble. And that is where we are. That is where we are. When you replace personal responsibility with a victim mentality, society as a whole is in huge trouble. Many are calling for welfare reform in our country, and that is because our system is being overloaded by otherwise capable people taking advantage of a system that was meant to help those truly in need. Why be responsible to work and hold a job when I can simply figure out a way to get the government to send me checks for free, right? This is the mentality. Again, ever since the Garden of Eden, people have struggled with accepting personal responsibility right up to this very day. Here is why I bring this all up. While the world around us might not value things like hard work and respon personal responsibility, as believers, we should. We should. It's something that we as the church can't let go, even if our society does. We need to model it. 
and we need to teach it to the next generation. More on that in a minute. There's even a phrase that we have coined to describe just how much we as Christians value personal responsibility and hard work. It's called the Protestant work ethic. The phrase was initially coined in 1904 by Max Weber in his book, The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. Weber asserted that Protestant ethics and values enabled the rise and spread of capitalism. The country that you and I know was built on hard work. The Puritans in particular that came over and the hard work of many other people as well. The point is clear. Christians have historically been known as extremely hardworking, responsible individuals. And while our hands and feet might feel tied when it comes to what's going, out, going on in society, you might be frustrated when you look at society. I am. Our hands are anything but tied when it comes to fostering these qualities within our own ranks. The church is to be a place where personal responsibility is valued and esteemed, which brings us to our passage today. So church, it's on that note. Let's go to the word of God. We'll be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we'll look at verses 6 through 15. It is my honor to present to you the word of God this morning. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the traditions that you have received from us. For you yourselves know that you ought to imitate us. And let me just stop right there. I'm going to stop. How many of us, when it comes to personal responsibility and hard work, could say to other, have the confidence to say to those that know us best, follow my example. Do you want to know what it's like to work hard and to be personally responsible? Look at me. And oh, by the way, what does Philippians 2.14 say? Do all things without grumbling or complaining. It's not just that I have a good responsibility and I work hard, but I do it with a good attitude. Follow my example. How many of you, us in here can say that? Paul could say it. But can we? Can we? For you, knew, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have the right but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, one of the greatest commands in all the Bible, and I want you all to say it with me. It's just a couple of words. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Amen. Do I hear an amen? Amen. amen. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. It's a shameful thing not to have a good work ethic and to be responsible. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother." Amen. Church, I am proud to present to you the word of God this morning. So this is the second time that Paul has brought up the subject of personal responsibility with the Thessalonians. He did it in his first letter as well. First Thessalonians chapter 4, he said, But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly. Mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. You know what that verse is saying? The world is looking at the church to see if we're responsible and if we're working hard and if we have good attitudes. The world is watching. So a spirit of laziness had gained traction within 
the Thessalonian church. Apparently there was a few, maybe there were a few, maybe more Thessalonians that thought, well, if the Lord's coming back any day now, why work to put food on the table, right? I'm not going to work. I'll just enjoy your food. <laughs> you're a better cook than I am anyway. And you're a harder worker than I am anyway. And so your food looks a lot better than the food I don't have, so I'm going to eat your food. Now, this may or may not have been the full reason, but regardless of the reason, a lack of personal responsibility needed to be confronted with clear and decisive accountability. And by the way, I, I, get, I need to do a sermon series on personal responsibility one of these days. I'm, I'm going to expand this into a series in, not, in the not-too-distant future. But do you want to know the key to dealing with an irresponsible person? It is clear and decisive accountability. Today, we are pandering to those that are irresponsible as if they're victims and, you know, trying to pander to their every concern and whim. And no, what irresponsible need, people need are clear and decisive, clear and decisive accountability. And if you want to know what clear and decisive accountability looks like, it looks something like this. Now, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the traditions that you received from us. That's what clear and decisive accountability looks like. Where it might not be uncommon for irresponsible people in our culture to get away with their behavior unchecked, folks, it should never happen within our own ranks. It should never happen within our own ranks, even if it means withdrawing fellowship from someone. And of course, the world's going to say, oh my gosh, you are incredibly harsh, church. You'll withdraw fellowship from somebody who's being lazy and irresponsible? Yes, we will. Yes, we will. And they're going to go, well, that's, that's abuse. How, that, that's, that's microaggression. That's macroaggression. I don't know what that is. I don't care what the world says, right? We cannot listen to the world to know how to conduct our affairs. Amen? So in Matthew 18, Jesus set in place a process by which we are to deal with those that are being irresponsible. And by irresponsible, I mean messing around with sin. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. In other words, shun them. Shun them. Excommunication is the last step in the disciplinary process. If you have an irresponsible person in your life, you don't shun them right away. You take them through this process. If they, if they call themselves a believer, you walk them through this process. But if they will not repent, there comes a point where you say, I'm done with you. Even if that is a family member who calls themselves a Christian and is irresponsible, and that's a tough one. Because many of us have family members who are irresponsible and we're not confident in washing our hands when you should be. When you should be. So that they feel the shame, and in this case, the hunger pains of not being cared for by you or some other people in your family. This is exactly what Paul is talking about in this passage. If lazy, irresponsible Christians won't repent, withdraw your fellowship and let them go hungry. It's funny how a hungry tummy will make you go back to work. It works every time. It's crazy. By the way, we see Paul commanding this sort of accountability in other places. This isn't the only place we're to do this. 1 Corinthians 5.11, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or a reviler or drunkard or swindler, not even to eat 
with such a one. In both cases, it's the withdrawing of, in one case, you withhold bread. In the other case, you don't break bread. But in either case, you are withdrawing fellowship from irresponsible people. Folks, the way that you deal with irresponsible people is clear and decisive accountability, something our society has seem, seemingly forgot. For the outside world, again, this is going to seem harsh, but who cares what the world says? It, this is, by the way, clear and decisive accountability is one of the ways that God provides for the holiness of his people. Sin is a cancer. It is not to be messed around with. When it is in the body of Christ, we need to deal with it decisively. Even the sin of laziness, you go, well, is laziness a bad sin? You bet it is. Just as, as is gluttony and sexual immorality and the idolatry, you can go on and on and on. By withdrawing fellowship, the body of Christ is not only protected, but the unrepentant person feels the sting and shame of his or her actions. Folks, it is not an honorable thing to be lazy. It is not an honorable thing not to have a good work ethic or be responsible. Amen? These are biblical principles. There's no honor in it. Now, our society finds great honor in cutting corners and looking for the easy way out and not doing these things. Not you and I. These are biblical principles that built, amongst other things, this country to, to, to or contributed at least to the greatness of this country. Sin is a cancer. It destroys everything it comes in contact with. Such behavior should never go unaccounted, with, uh, unaccounted within the body of Christ. And Paul says, if you want to know what it means to have a good attitude and a good work ethic and somebody who's totally responsible, he says, look at me. Look at me. Back to our passage. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Look at the apostles. Look at those who planted the church. Because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. There were times in Paul's ministry where he accepted the help of churches. In this case, he didn't. He was planting this church. He didn't want to be a burden to them in any way. And so he forgot, he, he let that, what's the word? Forgone, forego, forwent. <laughs> Are there any English teachers in here? He didn't exercise that right. And that's pretty incredible. He said, you want to know what it looks like to have a great attitude and to work hard and to be responsible? Look to me. Folks, right then and there is the whole point of this message. Those that know you best, when they think about you, do they think of those terms about you? That you're somebody that's responsible. Your yes means yes. Your no, mean no, no, no means no. That you work hard, even if it means it's night and day. You go the extra mile and you do it with a great attitude. Philippians 2.14, I will do all things without grumbling or complaining. All things. There, the problem with me is I work hard. I just do it with a bad attitude most of the time. I'm like, Lord, I really gave my best effort. You know? But everyone around me is angry at me because I did it with a, just a horrible, horrible attitude. Paul tried to, it wasn't just with the church at Thessalonica, by the way. This spirit of personal responsibility and hard work, he tried to instill in other churches. Everywhere he went, Colossians 3, he says this, whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily. In other words, from your inner core, do it with all of your heart, with everything that is within you, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man. Because you and I understand something. It doesn't matter who we're serving in this life. It might be a boss that's horrible, but we're not serving that boss who is horrible. We're serving a God that is good. Amen? In all things, we're serving a God that is good. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. 
Paul, of course, lived what he preached. He was a hard worker. Let me give you one more example from his life. He says this, and it's nothing but humility, but then he puts one little line at the end that's very telling. He says this, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, he says this, I worked harder than any of them. I outworked all the other apostles. I was the least of all of them. I was late to the party, but by God's grace, I outworked them all. I, I, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. By God's grace, Paul outpaced them all. That is incredible. So one of the important truths that the Bible, truths that the Bible makes crystal clear is that a man reaps what he sows. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Now, Many of you are familiar with that principle. Not a man reaps what he sows, but here's the deal. Not only does a man reap what he sows, he also reaps to the extent that he sows. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. What this means is that if you want to lazily go about fulfilling the responsibilities God has set before you, go for it. Just don't be surprised when there is very little to show for it. You do understand that God set your feet in this generation and he has prepared good works for you to walk in. See, he hasn't just set your feet in this generation so that you walk aimlessly around. He has set responsibilities before you. Your list is different from my list, but we all have a list and it's from God. The question is, will we do it? Will we do it diligently? Will we do it with a good attitude, heartily as unto the Lord in every situation that we find ourselves, even in the humbling situations, the situations where we don't want to serve with a great heart or a great attitude, even then I'm doing it for the Lord. So I know this for a fact, and many of you in here can attest to this. The older generation in this country and even in this church, I've, I've walked and talked with many of you, and there is a great concern from the older generation that the younger generation doesn't understand the value of things like hard work and personal responsibility. Would you agree with me? I think most of us have that concern. That's fascinating, and here's why. So in our country, in our country, um, we had to put child labor laws into place because 100 years ago, children would work in factories and mines and, and who knows where. They would work 10 to 14, 10 to 12, even 14-hour days, six days a week, and so we had to put laws in place to protect them, as we should. None of us want to see our children working like that. That's brutal. Um, and by the way, that's where Sunday school came from, because they would work, children would literally work six days a week, you know, long, long hours. And the only time you could educate them was on Sunday in church. And so there is where Sunday schools came from. So this was brutal, and those laws are good that we put in place. But here's the danger, and I think many of us feel this. The danger is that we have let the pendulum now swing all the way over here, all the way to the other side. We have inoculated our younger generation, our children and grandchildren, from the principles of hard work and personal responsibility to the point where kids are being given participation trophies for just showing up. For heaven's sakes, they even haven't done anything, but they get a trophy for just being there. That's the pendulum too far this way, folks. That is the pendulum too far this way. We need to keep the pendulum in the middle where it's biblical, where it is biblical. Again, though, regardless of what's happening out in society, 
No one group of people should model hard work and personal responsibility better than those of us, better than those of us who are God's children. We should be a people who are keenly aware of our God-given responsibilities and whose hands are faithfully at work fulfilling those responsibilities. By the way, um, you know, the, I always hear, well, the Bible doesn't talk about retirement as if it's like a sin to retire. It's not a sin to retire from your career. There comes a point where you just need to hang it up. You, you can retire from your career, but you never retire from work. And the reason I say that is, and it's proof is in the pudding, if you watch older people that retire and don't have a plan for after they retire and they have nothing to do, it's, the trajectory's never good. But those that have something to do and keep their hands busy and keep their minds busy, the trajectory's always almost good. But here's the deal. We should not only be a people who are keenly aware of our responsibilities and fulfill those with great diligence. We need to instill these in our children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. Amen? I kid you not what I'm about to tell you. Personal responsibility is one of the greatest gifts we can give to the next generation. Many of us are diligently working to give a good financial inheritance to our, to our children, and rightly so. The Bible says a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. But even more important than the money you leave behind will be the values you leave behind. And one of the greatest values that you can leave to the next generation is that just a spirit of, I am going to work hard. I'm going to do it with a good attitude. I'm going to give it all I got in all that I do, and I'm going to do it for the Lord. Amen? I tell you what, we give that to the next generation, they're set. It doesn't matter what comes their way. If they have that in their tool belt, they're set. And here's the kicker. While our society, might, the, the, our society is going to look at you and me and the way that we're raising our children, grandchildren, and we're teaching our children, and they're going to go, that's child abuse. You're brainwashing your kids and blah, 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 blah. They're going to hear all this sorts of stuff. Nonsense. What you're doing to your kids is horrible. You are not teaching them to work hard and to have a good attitude and to be responsible for their actions. You're teaching them to be the victim and to look for someone else to take care of them. That is not what we want to instill in the next generation. Are you with me? Remember, work was part of God's original design. It wasn't part of the curse. Work became harder after the curse. By the sweat of your brow, you'll feed your families. You know, it was going to be difficult. But you and I are designed to work. We are designed to work. Work is a good thing. And men, you can attest to this. I, when I have a day off, I go insane. It's because I love you guys so much. I just want to be around you all the time. But I don't do well when there's nothing to do. I go on vacation. I need, you know, you, I want to keep my hands busy to a certain degree because just sitting around doesn't, doesn't do it. We're designed to work. When people think about Christians, they should think of us as the most conscientious, responsible, hardworking people they know. And when we fail to model that behavior, we take responsibility for it. Amen? Because that is what mature, responsible people do. So with that being said, I want to finish this message today by highlighting one area where I think the church has an opportunity to shine, what personal responsibility looks like to the world around us. And folks, there are so many examples that I could give, uh, not the least of which that, you know, the Bible says um, that we are to take care of our own family members and that if we're not taking care of our own family, that's a problem. I mean, I can go on and on and on about personal responsibility. But let's go back to our passage. In our passage, there were those that were presuming on the generosity of other Christians in the first century. This, is what, this was the heart of what was going on, is uh, I'm not going to work diligently to put food on my table. I'm going to presume on your generosity. I'm going to pick from your table. You're going to feed me. Now, this, this was financial presumption. 
But this level of financial presumption rarely happens in the church today. It does on occasion. There will be people that are just simply, I want the church to take care of me. I want Christians to take care of me, and I'm not really going to be responsible. But it's rare. Most believers are faithfully working to financially support themselves and carry their own loads in this regard, and that is good. But there are subtle ways that we, as believers, me too as a pastor, can presume on the generosity of others within the body of Christ. And here's one of the ways. And it's when we desire all the benefits that come with being part of the body of Christ, but want nothing to do with the responsibilities within the body of Christ. Folks, membership has its privileges. You are part of the greatest movement in the history of the world, the greatest organization in the history of the world, that is the body of Christ. You have been brought in. I have been brought in. Membership has tremendous privileges, but it also comes with responsibilities. When we presume that others are going to be the ones doing all the serving, all the sacrificing, all the giving, and anything else that needs to be done so that the body of Christ can function as it should, we are falling into the very trap that we read about in today's passage, but only in a slightly different way. And I don't mean to give anybody a guilt trip here, right? And I'm not just talking about what happens here on this campus or at, at the local church. Wherever the body of Christ is active and at work, it's a blessing. And anytime you participate in the body of Christ, whether it's here or somewhere else, it's a blessing. But that body of Christ that is active there, there was great sacrifice to get it there and to keep it there and to keep it going. People are sacrificing in order for, the, in order for that to happen. So wherever I see the body of Christ at work, I want to ask myself, do I have a responsibility here? Now, I want to say something. We don't want to get legalistic about this because there are seasons in our lives. There are seasons where people are exhausted. My brothers and sisters in Christ, they're exhausted or they're wounded, and they just need to come to the body of Christ and receive. And that's a good thing. If you know somebody like that, leave them alone. I've been in that place in my own life where there's been times where I just needed to be in the body of Christ, not doing anything, not saying anything, not serving anywhere. I just needed to receive. I needed to be healed. I needed to be refreshed and restored. But those, those are seasons. For some of us, we've been in a season of receiving forever. And that's not the responsible thing because that is when we have fallen right into the trap that we see in the first century. Listen, by far, the church is the most important institution on the face of the planet. It is literally the bride of Christ, and God, by God's grace, you and I have been given the privilege to be a part of it. The responsibilities that come within the body of Christ, folks, those are not, those are not curses. Anytime you hear something of a need within the body of Christ, folks, that is a blessing, not a curse. You rejoice because that is your opportunity to do something in this generation to build up the body of Christ. It's our responsibility. And that's why I say the church, the world should be looking at us going, the church is the most efficient, hardworking group of people. When there's a need, it's met. When there's something that needs to be done, it gets done. It's an incredible group of people. They should be looking to us, not us to them. But if we are not careful, me too, we can bring the mindset that the world has into the church. Let's not do that. Let's boldly model, as Paul did in the first century, what we hope to see in the world people that are responsible, hardworking, have great attitudes, and do everything as unto the Lord. Amen? Amen? So I finished with a question, and the question is simply this. Where might you step up and start contributing more richly to the body of Christ? And again, doesn't mean here at this church, wherever the body of Christ is at work, there are things that need to be done. Folks, let that fall on your lap. If it's you, God may bring you to that specific situation to serve. 
Don't miss it, because great will be your reward in heaven. Remember, a man reaps what he sows, but he also reaps to the extent that he sows. Be generous in the way that you serve with all of your heart, for great is your reward. Did you pray?